Sunday, the 19th of September. I'm Randy Kure. This is a What's Up the Sports podcast, streaming live via Facebook at What's Up Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. If you are downloading this episode on your favorite podcatcher, thank you so much for the download. On today's episode, what will women's soccer look like after Canada claimed gold in Tokyo? Could we see first division soccer in this country anytime soon? Could Sebastian Javinko be returning to the Reds? Reports do suggest that he's been hovering around the team after three years away playing domestic football in Saudi Arabia. A new in-stadium supporter section is being rumored for an NBA team. We'll talk about that in a moment. So if you were to ask me 25 years ago if I would be talking about soccer as much as I with would be on a podcast my first question would be what the hell's a podcast but of course there are a lot of storylines involving soccer from our national program to first division soccer in this canada uh, in this country mls soccer the beautiful game is definitely on the rise definitely still climbing today really thrilled to be joined by uh, two guys uh, one is a co-host of the red patch boys podcast uh, he is uh, found at Benny Mac 34 on Twitter. Ben McClellan is here. Ben, how are you? I'm doing well. Appreciate you having me on. I'm uh, excited to be able to talk about uh, soccer in the GTA in the country. It's definitely a good time for it. Oh, my, my pleasure. Absolutely. And as well, making a return to the podcast, I came to learn of an analysis he did when he uh, did a report on what was called on who was called a York nine. FC. I, I was about a year ago. He is from the Schulich School of Business at York University. Zach Diaz is back. Zach, thank you so much once again. How are you? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, always love talking about sports, so can't wait to talk about soccer as well. All right. Can't pleasure. Wait. Pleasure. So, uh, gentlemen, uh, for the first time, uh, Toronto FC and York United will uh, take place in the Canadian Championships. It's a qualifier to the CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, full disclosure, the three of us are TFC fans, uh, but we do have an allegiance to CanPL in some form or another. Unfortunately, there hasn't been a lot to cheer about regarding TFC this year. Ben, uh, as co-host of the Red Patch Boys podcast, this is the first year you and your co-host Cam Miller uh, had deployed this uh, show. As host of this supporters group channel and as a uh, fan in a general sense, how difficult has been has this year been for you guys? Yeah, it's been it's been extremely tough. Uh, you go from being a top club in the MLS for, you know, close to three, four years. Uh, obviously, you win a championship in 2017. Uh, 2018, domestically, not great, but internationally with the run to the CONCACAF Champions League final was, was incredible. And then 
even last year was a terrific season for them considering everything going on. You know, they weren't at home. They're playing their home matches out in Connecticut um, yet and still almost find a way to win the uh, supporters shield in the regular season, obviously flame out the playoffs a little early um, transitioning to this year. Uh, I think a lot of people expected a, a bit of a decline. You still didn't know what was happening um, in terms of where we'd be playing our home games and this and that. Um, and aging team, not a whole lot of moves over the off season. So we, we, most of us expected a bit of a decline, but certainly not what we've seen. Um, that's, that's for certain. And then you look at being away from them uh, for so long when most of us uh, that do listen to the Red Patch Boys podcast, um, our season ticket holders or supporters, they're at most matches. You're away from them for so long. They're playing in the States. Uh, you finally get the team back, and, and it's this type of season. It's uh, it's certainly difficult, to say the very least. And I was wondering if uh, it was going to be like a huge reunion. I mean, it's been – it was so long. I was at the uh, last match before the pandemic started in uh, 2020. And, uh, you know, to be away for, I guess it would be over a year plus, uh, you'd think it would be like a big reunion. And who knows what the uh, atmosphere would have been like if uh, TFC was uh, had a competitive season. But you did uh, allude to it as well. The fact that the first eight years of this franchise, there was absolutely nothing to cheer about. Then there was some playoff success. And of course, mm-hmm. 2017 uh, and hey, CONCACAF uh, Champions League being finalists. How, I mean, you, when you have a taste of championship success uh, and then are back to where we were in the, uh, those first eight years, is uh, this year that much harder to stomach in your opinion? I think it is because of what the expectations were. Like you look at our roster, there's no reason we shouldn't be one of the best clubs in the MLS, right? You've got, you know, if, if Altidore's healthy, obviously it's a different factor, but you still have got Pozuelo. You've still got Osorio, tremendous, you know, veteran Canadian men's national team player. You've got Richie Larea, whose, you know, stock has risen incredibly high in the last three seasons or so, getting interest from some teams out in Europe. And then you sign Jefferson Soltado as well, who seems to be a very promising Venezuelan player. Um, and, and then this happens. So, yeah, it's it's been difficult in that sense i don't think anybody was really expecting things to be this bad um on top of that it's you there's so many people around this club uh who've kind of just jumped on in the last you know six seven years when when the team started to get really good jovinko comes to town obviously Uh, a large italian contingent starts following the team which is terrific and uh, so a lot of them have only been used to success and winning, right? So, so for it to fall this far, uh, for some people that really weren't there through those first few years, we're, we're perennial uh, bottom feeders in the MLS, right? It's difficult. So comparing this season to, I guess, 2012, which was, you know, obviously a historically bad season for TFC, it's been, uh, it's tough just because the expectations were, were much higher for this year and the fall has been so great. 
Zach, as a business student, uh, I'm sure destined to do some great things in uh, the future. Uh, I don't know if this is the kind of start York United wanted in their first uh, couple years of existence. Uh, they uh, did have uh, uh, in their second season, of course, in CanPL's second season, the season was completely overhauled because of the pandemic. Uh, and then they rebranded, of course, to what is now known as York United. Uh, I guess uh, to start, did you think that the rebrand was needed? I mean, if I look at the end of their inaugural season, like in 2019, obviously you look at it, bottom of the league in attendance, Stadium was always looking pretty empty, uh, but I felt like there was something good there. You started to see like more of the same people showing up to games. Uh, there was a bit of an identity starting to be formed with like the York Nine identity and stuff. Uh, but honestly, I think most fans wouldn't be surprised that they decided to rebrand. Uh, and I think mostly that comes down to there was always a large disconnect between the identity and the front office and the management. You could tell that there was not much effort being put in to sell the team in the first year. I was always kind of close to the front office that I've had good chats with a lot of, a lot of the people in the front office who are still there. Uh, and they always said to me that they felt like the brand wasn't strong enough. Uh, they wanted a world a world-class brand. And that's, that kind of, you know, creates problems when the fans are getting behind it, but the management isn't. Obviously at the end of the day, the management always has final say. Um, so no, I'm not surprised that they rebranded. Uh, maybe some fans are, but I think you know, like the fans that were there at the end of the season wouldn't be surprised at all based on just how the, the front office was acting. Yeah, I, you know, I do have to say that there is uh, something kind of uh, unique and cool about hearing about Atletico Ottawa. And uh, when uh, having uh, relatives and family in uh, Montreal, I didn't really like the team name Montreal Impact. You go to CF Montreal and yeah it sounds like a football club and now why they are calling it club de foot is another story but uh, there is uh, something about these uh, about the name Toronto FC and uh, you know I I guess uh, at the end of the day it's just a, a critic's choice but uh, I mean getting back to uh, the competition aspect of it all Zach uh, York United uh, in their history really haven't been pushovers with regards to the Canadian championships they did draw in uh, a match against the what was then the impact a couple years ago now of course uh, York United will uh, drive uh, just a little bit south for the uh, Toronto Derby, uh, York United against uh, Toronto FC on Wednesday, the 22nd. Hence the reason why we, uh, the three of us gathered today. Uh, how excited do you think York United is for this matchup coming up against the Reds? Yeah, I mean, so going back to the rebrand, uh, one of the things that I was told like consistently uh, throughout the process, I knew about the rebrand um, kind of before it was announced. Uh, a lot of the thought that went into it, I was shown a pitch deck because at the time uh, we were creating Green Lions, which didn't really pan out, but still I was, they were, they were doing a, I appreciate the effort in trying to keep clarity with the fans at that point. So I got to see a lot of what was going on. Uh, but the thing that really stood out to me, like, I mean, you can nitpick about the choice of York United as a name, or you can nitpick about the change in the colors. But what really stood out to me was uh, something they said they were like, we want this new brand to directly compete with TFC. We want to go after TFC and we want to be known as a direct competitive TFC. Uh, and with that in mind, obviously they're incredibly excited to play TFC. That's what they've been working for the last few years. 
Uh, I definitely think now, given TFC season, they're definitely more excited to play TFC than TFC is to play them. Uh, they obviously have nothing to lose. It's their first time. At the minimum, they're going to gain exposure. They get to play at BMO Field downtown. Uh, it's an incredible opportunity for the players, for the management, for everyone involved at York United. Uh, and yeah, ultimately, if you look back, like you mentioned, they're not pushovers in the Canadian Championship. Uh, like we talked about that first leg versus the impact in 2019. Uh, that's still, I think, for sure, the biggest accomplishment that they've had in their short history, that 2-2 draw on the first leg. Um, they always still talk about how great the atmosphere was at your client stadium that day, how well the team performed. Um, you know, the atmosphere may or may not have been created by TFC fans just there to spite Montreal. That's, <laughs> that's kind of what I was understanding from the supporter section. But, but yeah, it was great. It was great. And you got to see that's what it could potentially become. So, I mean, obviously playing Crosstown, just down Dufferin, like uh, 20 kilometers away or whatnot, it's a great opportunity. You get to be exposed to a ton of fans who already like local soccer in the area. Uh, obviously, I think in their mind, there's like a, a fantasy scenario. If they win, they're going to get a ton of new fans. All this great stuff's going to happen. I don't think that's necessarily realistic. But if you look at it from like a TFC point of view, like, a, like I'm a TFC fan, obviously, uh, I think regardless of what happens, it's a win-win. Because if TFC wins this game, right, it's great. Like we haven't, they haven't won many games this year. Why not? We want to make a run the Canadian Championship. But if they somehow lose to York United, which are like, honestly, I, I would hope, I, I don't know necessarily know how I want the game to go out. Uh, I think definitely change is going to come. And I think that's what a lot of TFC want, fans want is change in the front office. And I think losing to York United would be that final nail in the coffin for sure. 100%. I don't think you can, I don't think you can be an MLSC run team, Toronto FC, who just won a cup like four or five years ago and lose to like a yeah. quote unquote smaller club up the road. It can't happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, full disclosure on my end, uh, like I started to more get into club football uh, when TFC was, uh, uh, when TFC started. I, uh, you know, I am a, an older guy compared to you two. And uh, the reality is, is that I somewhat got into, well, I, I, my first introduction to uh, football was the World Cup in 94 and uh, starting to get into Euro. And then I met this girl who eventually became my wife and uh, she grew up with soccer. Uh, and then uh, TFC came. And then uh, I, I, to this day, I don't really have an affection for European football, but, uh, you know, club football in North America is uh, more my bag. Uh, that said, and uh, Ben, Zach did allude to, the excitement level on TFC's uh, and uh, of course we mentioned how bad a year it has been for the Reds uh, in their mind. Is it tougher to get uh, up for a match against York United uh, perceived to be a lower level club? Yeah. It, or, or uh, sorry to add, uh, like, uh, is this a chance to sort of recharge the batteries, start with a clean slate, et cetera? Yeah. Last few years, it's almost kind of been a given thing amongst TFC management, TFC fans, TFC players that you kind of knew you're already going to win the Canadian championship, right? Um, so it kind of took a second second type priority, I guess, if you want to put it that way for them. Um, this year, given the team's performances, how they're performing in the league, I think it has to be a wake-up call and kind of a kind of an opportunity for them to start fresh in a way and still manage to qualify for CONCACAF, right? 
Um, and to be playing your crosstown rival, I guess, new rival, if you want to put it that way, kind of hard to call them rivals when they haven't played before. <laughs> but um, yeah, playing a team from just across town, it's uh, it's certainly a big what's what's the word i'm looking for here opportunity yeah Yeah. exactly a big opportunity for and i guess a big moment to hopefully not fall flat on your face if you're tfc as well right because it would probably be an all-time low for them if they if they were to fall in this match and given the form of tfc and even york's form as of recently has been pretty good um it's it's honestly real possibility that York knocks them off in this in this match. Well, and I, I do wonder what the lasting effect is uh, with a lower level team defeating defeating the Premier League uh, Premier mm-hmm. Club. Uh, like, let uh, obviously there has been a history with Europe, and of course I can imagine how much it hurts, but uh, like. In your opinion, uh, uh, any of you guys jump in, like how lasting uh, a, a mark is that for the first division club, for the top division club, excuse me, to uh, lose uh, during something like Champions League? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you look at where Canadian soccer is at right now and how Toronto FC really kind of has been the focal point of Canadian soccer, even though there's real no no real direct affiliation with TFC and Canadian soccer. Um, it would be, it would be massive if, you know, that kind of poster boy club from Canada went down to uh, or to fall to one of the teams from this new league. That's only been going for three years. Obviously we've seen Vancouver lose to Pacific just a couple of weeks ago. We saw Vancouver lose to cavalry a couple of seasons ago. So, I mean, it has been done, but, you know, just Vancouver hasn't had the same success at the MLS level that Toronto FC has. So if, if Toronto FC were to do it, were were to fall to York um, for Canada soccer as a whole, um, it would have to legitimize the Canadian Premier League. Realistically, the Canadian Premier League should already be legitimized uh, given that they're knocking off MLS clubs already, but it's, uh, it would be it would be huge for for Canada soccer as a whole and, and kind of a changing of the guard in a way. Yeah, Zach. I mean, uh, how about it? Like your thoughts uh, in terms of the big picture sense of uh, the uh, the importance of uh, the championships for the uh, CAMPL. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, just to add on to what Ben said. Uh, like Vancouver lost the Pacific in their first matchup, which they also dubbed a rivalry before it even started. Uh, but the fact that they lost, they were on a winning streak at the MLS, and then they sacked Mark Santos the day after. It shows that, like, clearly it has some sort of impact on the MLS clubs if they were to lose. Um, if TFC, like, obviously you have to have TFC as the favorites of this game, regardless of the form. Uh, the talent is obviously there. But, um, yeah, even if they are to beat York United, they have to come up against, I think it's Pacific or Cavalry in the next round, too. Mm-hmm. that's definitely going to be a more challenging game regardless. So there's multiple chances for an upset here. And like Ben said, um, yeah, Toronto's always, as a TFC fan, you expect to win the Canadian Championship. It's a given. So regardless, even, even in 2019 when we lost Montreal in the final, that's technically an upset as well. It's, it's a Canadian, it's like you need to win the Canadian Championship or else the season was a failure in, in the eyes of TFC fans. We, we expect a lot now. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, sorry, sorry to jump in. No, there, of course, please, especially please. given, especially given exactly like Zach alluded to the, you know, the history that TFC has winning this competition. And now that they're growing it with the Canadian Premier League clubs, um, it, it certainly opens the door for, for young, younger and, and, and smaller clubs to, you know, pull off these types of upsets and surprises. You do have to think that there is uh, some importance uh, with the players of the club. Uh, like if you remember uh, Josie Altidore's speech when he was completely trashed uh, at uh, the MLS parade <laughs> and he was uh, ta- uh, the first thing that he mentioned was being 401 Derby champs uh, against Montreal. And yeah, sure. Maybe it was a different dynamic uh, uh, playing uh, Montreal versus uh, uh, Canadian championship qualifiers against Forge uh, in the future, York United and uh, whoever they would be playing in CanPL. But uh, you have to think that there is some uh, something for the players uh, as well, even though if whether they're from, born in Canada or or not. Uh, so uh, in the lead up to uh, this episode, uh, we did I did uh, learn that uh, Ben uh, does support uh, Forge and yes, he is a part correct. of the. See uh, supporters club there. Uh, you know, I have to wonder what does a Forge TFC rivalry will look like and compare to specifically the Argos versus the Tie Cats. Obviously, mm-hmm. this is a rivalry that's been around for over a century. You think of Labor Day in sports in this country. You think of the Labor Day Classic, the Tie Cats, and the uh, and the Argos. I'm I'm thinking there's a lot of meat on the bone for a TFC forge rivalry. What uh, what do you think that would look like uh, when that first match takes place and the uh, matchups uh, in the future? Mm-hmm. That would probably be quite a party. Yeah, well, it when you talk about Argos and Tie Cats, it goes well beyond just the sports and teams on the field, right? It's the Toronto versus Hamilton, like the actual cities themselves type mentality. So you have the people from Toronto, big, massive worldwide city. And you've got the people from Hamilton, smaller city, very hardworking, right? It's two very different dynamics. So it's, it, that whole mindset comes is what builds that rivalry between the Argos and Thai Cats. And then obviously with it being a century-old rivalry, that certainly adds to the deny- dynamic as well. So with Forge and TFC, it's, it's very different in the fact that one of them is so young and the other has been established for close to 15, and I guess 15 years now. Um, so looking at that, I think there certainly is the opportunity for a real rivalry there, given Forge's success in the Canadian Premier League this far, as well as um, continentally in, in the CONCACAF League, um, as well as you know Toronto FC's success in the MLS and the Voyagers Cup and whatnot um i'm i'm still a bit upset that they haven't played that final yet uh which is supposed to happen for the 2020 voyagers cup final um i'm i'm really looking forward to that hoping you know i'm still in the boat that i think it's going to get played even though a whole lot hasn't been said yeah but (laughs) um yeah given the success of both clubs i think it's um almost kind of like a big brother versus little brother type thing you've got the success most successful cpl club thus far against the most successful canadian mls club and um certainly certainly adds to it and makes it a potential rivalry as well as toronto york 
Uh, you know, Zach, uh, I, I guess one thing that I was uh, really excited about with regards to the Canadian Premier League was the possibilities for the national squad. Uh, obviously, uh, in the years before uh, CanPL, there was a handful of players that uh, had successful careers in, uh, in Europe. And a first division soccer in Canada could only enhance a national program even more. Uh, with the men's side first, uh, which league do you think is more crucial to the men's national team? The first division a league that is the Canadian Premier League or simply MLS? Yeah, I mean, but obviously uh, there's definitely people on both sides of this both sides of this debate uh, I would say right now 100% it's MLS uh, you have to look at like the lineups that Canada was playing in the first few games of those World Cup qualifiers where they were very successful the vast majority of them either come from TFC's academy at some point Montreal's academy or Vancouver's academy there was no CPL players on the World Cup roster or the World Cup qualifier squad and yeah that's probably due to the infancy of the league uh, I'd say long term uh, I don't think there will be many stories of, you know, CPL players going onto the Canadian national team and being a star player because we have tons of players in Europe playing Champions League football right now. The CPL and Champions League football, they're not really comparable. But I think where the CPL could really help the men's program is by developing those players to ultimately be shipped off to the MLS or to go to Europe, like Tristan Borges, to uh, to the Netherlands. But, but yeah, I think... Long term, uh, it definitely should be seen as a, a, like a very strong potential route for development for the men's team. And that's really important as well, uh, because that's obviously the problem Canada had before this current crop of players was the amount of selection. Even now we're seeing like limited depth when it comes to like defenders, for example. The CPL can come through and develop like teams with good defensive identities like the Forges or the Cavaliers. Uh, and then ship players off to higher leagues and they can eventually contribute to the national team. That's exactly what all Canadian fans should want. For sure. And, uh, you know, Ben, uh, of course, uh, this country is still recovering from what took place in the Tokyo Olympics. Our national squad came, uh, claimed gold in women's soccer. You think of the uh, national program and I take a look at the uh, Team Canada logo. I'm seeing LeBlanc, Sinclair, uh, Matheson, and truthfully, I'm seeing that before Davies, David, Bunbury, and uh, uh, the, mm. the guys before. Uh, of course, uh, when uh, gold was claimed, uh, the call for uh, first division soccer for women's soccer in Canada was, uh, was said. How far do you think first division soccer is for Canada? Do you think it's going to be something that we could see in the not too distant future? Yeah. So I've had the pleasure of speaking with, uh, with Kaylin Kyle, obviously a very successful member of the Canadian women's national team. Um, and it's, it's not as far as many might think it is. Um, she's her along with some other former Canadian women's national players are kind of part of a force to, to get it going and finding investors and whatnot. So it's, it's not as far as we think. It is still, you know, very much in, in the infancy stages of its planning and development and finding investors and, um, and all that. But it's, it's not as far as we think. But in terms of its, its need in Canada, it's absolutely needed. Because right now you've got um, 
some clubs out in Europe, which are hosting plenty of Canadian talent. You've got Adriana Leon um, with, with West Ham and uh, Selena Zadorsky in Tottenham, Jesse Fleming with Chelsea. And then you've got the NWSL, which is obviously home to Christine Sinclair with Portland. And, and the list really goes on. Um, those are really the only places for them to play. We've got a lot of players playing in the NCAA, obviously Julia Grosso, who scored that winning penalty playing at the University of Texas, um, who I have, I'm a big, even bigger Julia Grosso fan now because I am a <laughs> University of Texas fan. So, uh, oh, no okay, you're a Texas, uh, sorry, yeah, a football Texas team or basketball or everything. Or, yeah? everything. Okay, yeah. the Longhorns, so, huh? Okay. Yeah, even bigger, even bigger Grosso fan now that's uh, knowing she plays her uh, college soccer at Texas. But right on. it's it's wicked to see these players playing in you know, the biggest American league in the big women's leagues in, in Europe and, and seeing them in the women's champions league as well. Obviously you've got Heidema and uh, Becky uh, Heidema with PSG Becky with man city and all these clubs always making runs in the women's champions league. So it's, it's kind of a, it's a thing where it's like, why not us? Why not have a league here that can compete or at least have a, to begin with a team, uh, in Toronto or Montreal or Vancouver, wherever it may be, that can play out of the NWSL, right? Because you've got plenty of young girls who are playing soccer. We're going to start playing soccer saying, I want to be Sinclair. I want to be Grosso. I want to be Matheson. And you've even probably got young boys who are starting to play soccer who have seen the success of the women's team saying, I want to be like Sinclair or Fleming. So having a league domestically in Canada for women would be, would be tremendous. And I don't think it's as far away as we think it is. Mm, because, uh, and Ben, uh, you uh, you took uh, one of my points away. And uh, to Zach is that uh, as a as a business uh, as a business student and a big soccer fan, obviously uh, the uh, rise of soccer started with MLS, uh, with uh, Toronto FC first, and then of course Montreal and Vancouver joined in, and then all those years later the CanPL was born is it premature to think that first division soccer for women can start in this country solely without a team uh in canada in nwsl i think um if you look i I, like maybe i'm a bit biased saying this but as a tfc fan i think it's pretty obvious when tfc came into the league in 2007 in the mls um ever since then soccer has completely changed in this country uh huge investments towards academies uh you can even see like kind of the age group of of like young young boys who were uh who grew up watching the team you can see that translating into the 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 amount of talent that we're seeing come out of like the younger age group uh a lot of the tfc academy players grew up watching tfc which is incredible i think um my first idea when it comes to women's soccer in the country is kind of like what ben said i think uh definitely Logically, I think that the best move would be to put an NWSL team in Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver to see if it works. I definitely think there's demand there. You've seen it all the women's national teams games at you know Field, for example. They're always sold out. Uh, I definitely think there'd be good demand. And obviously, you set up that foundation for growth. And then eventually, I think without TFC and Montreal and Vancouver in the MLS, the CPL wouldn't have had 
enough of a foundation to get going itself. So I think maybe the same thing can be translated into the women's game, but I definitely think there needs to be an MWSL team in Toronto or Montreal or Vancouver in the, in the near future and just to kind of get that going. Uh, we've uh, obviously been big uh, sports fan beyond soccer, the three of us. Uh, you take a look at uh, hockey in this country and uh, women's hockey it, in a club sense, in a domestic league sense, really hasn't taken off that uh, strongly in North America at all. I mean, fan uh, fan attendance could be in the dozens uh, with uh, regards to matches in some uh, uh, some arenas. What do you think uh, in comparing women's soccer to women's hockey? If there is a, a, a league, uh, whether it is a, a league uh, between both the United States and Canada, do you think that it's automatic that hockey will be more, quote unquote, popular, palatable to watch, more of a following? Because honestly, I think that soccer can give them a great run for its money. Yeah, Um it's 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 crazy to think about considering how much of a hockey country Canada is obviously but given this uh growth and tremendous success of the Canadian women's national team program and obviously the growth of soccer as a whole in Canada I do think it can give a run for their money uh because you have the I think in terms of fan base and supporter base you're going to draw a lot of supporters from the men's game for soccer as well, more so than I think you would hockey. Um, and then you've also got the aspect of young girls who, you know, you watch uh, Canadian women's games, both soccer and, and hockey. It's so many young female athletes themselves wanting to watch their role models. And I think the star appeal of, the Canadian women's national team for soccer um, definitely will help that. So I, I certainly do think that Canadian, the Canadian, uh, a domestic women's soccer league in Canada could give hockey a run for its money. Definitely. Anything uh, else to add there, Zach? Uh, I think the potential is just huge. Yeah, I definitely agree with Ben. I'll look at it from more of like an international standpoint. And it's pretty obvious after the Olympics and a lot of the recent results from the Canadian women's national team uh, that Canada is a leader in women's soccer. And obviously, um, being an, an international leader, um, obviously, there should be the same kind of thing. Like, we're an international leader in hockey. Why can't it be translated into soccer as well? Uh, soccer is obviously one of the fastest growing sports in this country. Uh, I definitely think, yeah, if there's going to be a team uh, in a big market city in, in Canada, for example, it would definitely attract some of those uh, Canadian women's national team players that come play here and play at home. They de uh, definitely, I could see a ton of them not wanting to pass up on that opportunity. And then, uh, yeah, long-term, I definitely think a domestic league could also give hockey a run for its money, 100%. Well, I, and I think the one thing that hockey uh, doesn't have that soccer does have is the, uh, the growth uh, and the appeal globally. Uh, women's hockey is just Canada versus USA, but you think of... Uh, Sweden, you think of Japan uh, and their success in the uh, World Cup of soccer. Uh, I think that's definitely a uh, uh, a big uh, important uh, uh, factor uh, with 
the appeal of uh, soccer uh, versus hockey uh, in a, in a women's uh, league sense. But uh, guys, uh, this has been a great chat. Really, really uh, have been enjoying this. I do want to end off with a little bit of fun, uh, and it's a segment that I like to call "Big Deal, No Big Deal." So essentially, I'm going to pose a scenario to you guys, and you're going to tell me flat up, "Big deal," it, it or no big deal. Uh, if I could get my words out of my mouth properly, but uh, <laughs> you know, we are going to stick to soccer. And uh, rumor is, is that Sebastian Javinko has been rumored to return to TFC. He has been uh, seen around BMO field. I believe he did take the uh, last match against uh, Inter. Um, ben, yep. Sebastian Javinko, the atomic ant returning to the reds, big deal or no big deal. Uh <sighs> I'm personally going to go no big deal on this one because, A, I'm still not entirely convinced it's actually going to happen. Um, the source that did put it out on Twitter has kind of been known for not being the most reliable when it comes to this stuff. And then people closer to the club have been saying, well, I mean, he has a home in Oakville. You know, he's here pretty regularly. His family still lives here most of the year. Um, there certainly is the interest, I think, from both sides. Um Looking at it from from an actual performance standpoint, uh, it's not going to be the same Sebastian Javinko. If if you were to join, it's not going to be the same Sebastian Javinko we saw in 15, 16, 17, right? Um, and then there's the aspects, I guess, salary-wise, I don't know how TFC can pull it off because uh, we're too far down in the allocation list in terms of international players coming in. And then I don't think we have the money uh, in terms of um, – targeted allocation money to to pull it off uh given we've got a million dollars tied into omar gonzalez and and um gallardo with uh who's you know not even with the club at the moment so yeah i'm going no big deal zach what do you think i mean it's been a, a season to forget for uh tfc and uh javinko wasn't too bad in tfc colors obviously winning mvp <laughs> he was kind of good yeah. yeah he was okay <laughs> 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 but uh is it just a weak attempt to uh capture what was once accomplished if he was to come um, back yeah like I'm, I'm pretty split on this honestly i think obviously i'd love to see javinko retire at tfc I think it'd be funny to see him play with Pozuelo and Soteldo. I'd like to see how their personalities would mix on the mm -hmm. field. I think that'd be pretty funny to see. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, obviously, from a competitive standpoint, a financial standpoint, I don't think it's a great idea. I mean, like like uh, Ben mentioned, uh, TFC uh, has poorly mismanaged their, their, their tight budget. Uh, we've signed some horrible contracts. We're stuck with Omar Gonzalez uh, unless we can ship him off. Even like Josie Altor's contract is debatable. I think that's definitely something that needs to be considered in the offseason too. So unless Javinko's coming on on like a pretty affordable TAM contract, which means we'd have to make a lot of moves to get that to work and sign that, uh, make some moves to get that top allocation spot with all these MLS rules. Um, I mean, unless they can pull it off uh, without it like impacting the rest of our team, 
um, yeah, I don't think it's a great idea. So I'd say no big deal financially, but the appeal factor, it's a big deal for a lot of yeah. fans. And it might, it might bring some people back in the stadium because we've seen mm. some poor attendances recently. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It'd be interesting to see. I wonder uh, what number he would wear because obviously Pizuela has yeah. 10, so that could be an issue. Uh, but uh, guys, uh, hey, we've been going 40 minutes uh, talking soccer. How about we change things up with a little tennis? And uh, it's been just over a week since Montreal native Leila Andy Fernandez's magical run at the uh, U.S. Open came to an end. She, of course, lost to uh, Toronto-born Emma Raducanu, who represents England. Uh, Zach, it, during Fernandez's run, she got a shout-out from a number of, uh, well, f- famous people, legendary people, one of them being Magic Johnson, uh, of course, he uh, legend uh, from uh, basketball. She uh, Magic retired 20 years before Layla Fernandez was born. Uh, if you are Layla Fernandez, a guy like Magic Johnson shouting you out, is that a big deal or no big deal? I would definitely say it's a big deal. I'd say from my perspective, I'm not a big, big like follower of tennis, but I was tracking a run through the, through the U.S. Open. I watched the final. I was getting excited about it too. I was, I was behind here. So if she can take somebody like me who doesn't really watch tennis that much and like make a fan out of me in such a short period of time and also get those endorsements from the big names like Magic Johnson. It has to be a big deal for sure. Yeah, no, uh, for sure. Uh, obviously, uh, Magic and his, uh, uh, the legacy that he left, you know, it goes without saying. I mean, I guess from my perspective, uh, being born when I was, I mean, it'd be kind of similar to a guy like uh, Reggie Jackson shouting me out, but, uh, you know, and... Uh, I was so disconnected from a guy like Reggie Jackson, but anyway, whatever, obviously any, uh, any love from uh, that kind of uh, player, a person of that kind of clout. Yeah, I'm in for sure. Finally, guys, uh, the NBA's Los Angeles Clippers has broken ground on a new stadium. The Intuit Dome will be uh, ready for the 2024-25 season with a reported Supporters section. Uh, the plan is to have uh, this section where 51 continuous rows will be uh, will be built, and uh, they're actually calling it the Wall. Uh, ben, an NBA team having a supporters section is that a big deal or no big deal? Yeah, I think I'm going to go big deal because um, it's certainly cool to think about um, how it's actually going to work. I <laughs> I have no clue, but uh, it, it's certainly, I'd say it's a big deal. I think you see that influence coming into North America now from European soccer and European sports as a whole, how they have that kind of supporters mentality in certain sections of the stadium. And in many cases, the whole, the entire stadium uh, being kind of like a rowdy end or rowdy section, supporters section. So uh, I think it's a big deal kind of seeing that influence come over to North America now outside of soccer as well, uh, especially in the NBA. Um how NBA fans specifically will take after it, I'm I'm not entirely sure, but uh, you know you see the energy that Steve Ballmer puts out with the LA Clippers. I think it's a good team to start it, so I'm gonna go big deal. Yeah, Zach. I mean, uh, I I can't uh, end this question without getting your thoughts. I mean, when I think of a supporter section, I definitely think of uh, fans wearing their team's colors. Uh, being standing room only for that section, uh, a lot more hooting and hollering. But, uh, I mean, the NBA in-game experience is a lot more louder with 
uh, music and so on. Uh, is it kind of, uh, uh, I, I don't know what the right term is, but I mean, like you have an already jacked up atmosphere in the first place. Is uh, Do you think a supporter section could fly in a league like the NBA? Yeah, I mean, my initial thoughts on this is something that I uh, really love about going to TFC games versus going to like a Leafs game or a Raptors game is that the, the fans are not artificial. I feel like when you go to those games, it's always hyped up artificially through like the, the guys on the keyboards or sound effects and whatnot. I think it's a lot more special when the fans are creating the atmosphere. Um, yeah, that's obviously me being a soccer fan and being biased, but uh, that's something that Europeans really value. And that's, that's one of their gripes on American sports and stuff that's all about artificial and stuff. Um, but yeah, I think it could definitely be very cool in the NBA. Uh, I've seen videos of what it's like in the Euro League, like in Turkey. It's almost like a soccer game in the basketball in the basketball games there. But I think that would be pretty crazy to see in the, the top basketball league in the world. Um, I can only imagine like what that would be like at like a Raptors game. Raptors are the best fans in the league. I think that would be insane. Uh, gives you gives makes a more of a fan culture, I think. Um, and I, I guess the other thought that comes in my head when I think about this is like supporter sections are also tied to affordability, right? Supporter sections are known for like being cheap seats. Um, I know a lot of NBA uh, tickets are known for being really expensive. So it makes it more accessible for younger people to get out to the games, uh, you know, be really rowdy and energetic at games too. So I think that could be a great benefit for, for fans overall, uh, being able to go to more games if, if, if the seats are cheaper. Hmm. I do. I do wonder how much uh, how much cheaper a ticket would be in Los Angeles. But uh, uh, yeah, uh, you know, the, the artificial aspect that you mentioned. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, some people were just an absolute snooze very quickly. Like I remember going to a box uh, for a Leaf game. Coincidentally enough, there were a couple of ex Leafs there with uh, their wives. I was the only one. Uh, you know, uh, causing uh, some ruckus and uh, uh, making some comments, and actually, as one you of the, should be. Yeah, no, for sure. And one of the one of one of the players' wives uh, was actually getting into it and uh, kind of enjoying uh, how hype I was. Uh, I mean, uh, Leaf games. I don't know if you guys are Leaf fans specifically, but uh, uh, Scotiabank Arena, Air Canada Center, uh, is kind of a library. Uh, Raptors are a little bit more intense, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think that uh, especially in a hockey sense. Uh, like I think the NHL could definitely use a supporter section. Get, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, sorry, just no. Of course, please, please interjecting here. But uh, I mean, if you guys watch like the Spangler Cup, for example, in around the holiday season when the World Juniors are going on, it's it's in a European country every year, and it's it's domestic club teams in Europe playing each other, and and you see the supporter section in hockey arenas out there, and it's wild you know, places like Switzerland with HC Davos and, and, and so on. So yeah, I, it, NHL could use it, uh, especially in Toronto. Um, you know, being a Sabres fan, I've seen games in Buffalo. And even when that team's been terrible for the last decade, the, you know, it's still decent atmosphere in that arena. And then uh, arenas like Chicago are crazy. Obviously Montreal is known for being wild. So yeah, it's, it's something I think the NHL could use for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Back to LA and, to tie a bow on this, uh, you know, if anybody I think who can rev up a crowd, it's definitely Clippers owner Steve Ballmer. And if I mean that the supporter <laughs> section could be anything like uh, the owner, then uh, that area is going to be a gong show. Uh, listen, guys, uh, this was an absolute treat. Uh, uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, the Toronto Derby will be on Wednesday at BMO Field. 
uh, and it'll be another chapter in the growing success of soccer in this country. Guys, really hope uh, you are doing well and that your families uh, are keeping well, doing safe. Uh, and uh, Ben McClellan, Zach Diaz, really, really appreciate you. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you having me on. It's been fun. Yeah, thank you so much. This is What's Up the Sports Podcast. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at What's Up Podcast. I'm Randy Couray, and we'll talk to you next time.